This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Um, that's page 921 in the Pew Bibles, or you can flip to your devices to um, look at the verse or your own personal Bibles. Page 921. Now there, were, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they called to Cy sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. And now I invite Minister Pat to come up to preach about the church unleashed. Good morning, and Happy New Year, Crossbridge. Today, we continue in our new sermon series, To the Ends of the Earth. In the message that launched this sermon series, Pastor Jeff led us on a guided tour of the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, tracing the formation of the church through the suffering and scattering of Christians in order to form a church of all people, nations, and tongues. And that is where we are headed in this sermon series. As we proceed through the missionary journeys, chapters 13 to 20, we will see Paul forming a new family of God, defined by faith, drawn from every nation and tribe, peoples, and tongues, as we see it fulfilled in Revelations chapter 7, verse 9. We aspire to be members of that new family where our rule of life is not defined by the rules we follow, but by following Jesus Christ with trust and obedience. As we prepare to hear today's message from Acts 13, 1 to 12. Let's shift focus from the church and on to the Holy Spirit. 
We believe the Holy Spirit, the third person of the three-in-one God, to be active in the world, guiding and empowering believers to live in accordance with God's will. To that end, I will lead and help you to observe and reflect on two major themes. The first theme in today's passage is the essential role of the Holy Spirit in appointing particular prophets and teachers in the church. We see this in the calling and setting apart of Barnabas and Saul for a specific mission to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. This theme of Holy Spirit initiation of leaders and guidance of the community repeats throughout the book of Acts. It's important to remember that the Holy Spirit is not just an abstract concept, but He is a personal, active driver in our lives and in the life of the church. Now, the second theme is spiritual gifting and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, throughout the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is cast as the giver of spiritual gifts and empowerment. Today, we're going to see Barnabas and Saul preaching and performing miracles, leading to the conversion of Gentiles. Now, now God does not call and prepare people to fail. The Holy Spirit empowers His appointed to carry out mission and work they have been called to do. As we reflect on the passage, let's remember that the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit is available to us as well. Remember to ask God to empower us in our mission and work. So today, we'll see how the Holy Spirit launched Paul's first missionary journey by selecting gospel-focused believers, by sending them with a ministry of proclamation, and by transforming them that ministry into a ministry of confrontation. But first, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, bless your word and pour your truth, courage, and conviction into our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we might become more like your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Now, first, Barsbas and Saul, whom we also know later is named Paul, were selected by the Holy Spirit, and that's in verses 1 to 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, when we read this, we would be right to say that the church at Antioch commissioned these missionaries. And while that is certainly true, it is only after God had already done so. Let's see what these verses show us. 
At Antioch, there were five prophets and teachers. From the Greek in these verses, Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius are listed as prophets, whereas Manaean and Saul were treated as teachers. Here, prophecy is understood to be to include both a forthtelling and a foretelling, both of proclamation and prognostication. And teaching has to do with identifying those Old Testament relationships and addressing its implications. Now, who are these men that are named in this first verse? Uh, we've got help from commentators, uh, Ken Barker and John Kohlenberger III. Uh, they provide us with some helpful um, background information. Well, first, Simeon and Menaean are Jewish names, suggesting the church remained under the influence of Jewish leadership. We learn that Simeon goes by Niger, which was a common Roman name, and it was suggestive that he was a Roman citizen. But that Latin nickname, Niger, right, that nickname Niger was something that suggested that he had a dark complexion, which would be consistent of a convert or a proselyte that is coming from the Romanized northern coast of Africa. And this may also be true of Lucius as well. And this makes sense as the city of Cyrene on the North African coast has a significant Jewish population. Now, as for Menaean, we see that he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This, another important clue for understanding the context. He, he may have been raised from childhood along Herod, who, of course, we see that he became a ruler later on. And so what we have here is a rather curious and eclectic group. The leaders were Jews and Gentiles, a lifelong friend of Herod, and possibly a dark-skinned African. The diversity that are, is represented by these leaders reflect the diversity that we expect to see in heaven. People from every tribe and language, every ethnicity and background. And let's not also forget the significance of the Trinitarian aspect in these verses. In verse 2, we read that the Holy Spirit states, set apart for me, for me, Barnabas and Saul. See that phrase, for me. It highlights the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks with the authority of God. Now, one particular saint and scholar, Saint John Chrysostom, recognized the divinity of the Holy Spirit in these words, asking, what being, unless of the same authority, would have dared to say this? He was commenting on that verse. This highlights the importance of the doctrine of the Trinity, where God is Father, Son, and Spirit existing three in one. We see here the divine nature of the third person of the Trinity. Now, also what we see in these verses is a before and after. We see the collective spiritual posture of the church before and after they received spiritual direction from the Trinity, from, excuse me, from the Holy Spirit. 
So before the Spirit speaks, the author reports in verse 3, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And after the Spirit speaks, the leaders fasted and prayed before they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul. I find it curious that fasting is mentioned in two, in two places in these verses. Okay. Once in conjunction with worship, and then in connection with prayer, laying on of hands, and then commissioning. And should we be surprised at all that the Spirit speaks to a church that's fasting, worshiping, and praying? The members of that church were focused, they were purpose-driven, and were committed. By seeking God, they were seeing the world through Christ's eyes. By their discipline of faith, they experienced courage and conviction to send whomever to wherever God directed. Now, at times, we may be tempted to question and challenge God by saying, why do I never hear from God? Why hasn't God called or used me? Or why do others hear, but I do not? But, but I, when I read these verses, I hear the author asking of me, have you put yourself in a position to hear from God? Have you sought God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Now, as those questions ring in my mind's ear, it reminds me of what my Sunday school teacher taught me when I was in junior youth group. Uh, yes, that was a long time ago. Um, uh, she taught us that the Sabbath is a special day that God has set aside for us to rest and to spend time with our families and with our friends. She compared it to a holiday or a break from school to do fun things. She explained that as we enjoy what God has created, we remember He is the one who created it for us to enjoy. And as we remember God, we honor God. We say thanks for all that He's done, and we feel safe. And whenever you keep the Sabbath, it helps you to remember that God is always with you. And remembering Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, is possibly the most important thing in this life. When was the last time that you prayed and worshiped and fasted so that you may discern a call from God? When was the last time you set aside and stepped away to hear from God? Such questions lead yet to harder questions. Now, I'll share from my perspective as a member of your pastoral staff. Oftentimes I'm wondering, am I leading you to become a fasting, praying, and worshiping church? Do my priorities the priorities of the staff, the priorities of the church align with the priorities that we find in this early church at Antioch. Have you and I become too busy in life, too busy 
in ministry to hear and listen for God? When was the last time we stilled ourselves before God? When was the last time as a church we cried out to God with focus and determination and not ceasing? This was the spiritual posture of the early church, and God did amazing things in and through them. The church's commission of Paul and Barnabas is beautiful. The Lord calls men and women out of the church for certain tasks. Then, if the church is attentive, the church confirms that calling with prayers and acts of commission. Now, Paul must have felt alongside Barnabas, they both must have felt especially blessed to have been commissioned and sent out by a church such as that Antioch church. So have all who have been called by God and confirmed by their churches. Next, they were sent by the Holy Spirit, verses 4 to 5, with the ministry of proclamation. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. We see here, as throughout the book of Acts, that Paul directed his ministry where? First to the Jews. And if they no longer responded to the gospel, he turned his message then to the Gentiles. Despite being known as the great missionary to the Gentiles, Paul always began his ministry with his own people, the Jews, before turning to the Gentiles. He explains himself in a letter written to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul never abandoned his kinsmen. He preached to the Jews with boldness, clarity, and passion. Paul would often go to the Jewish synagogues first because the Jewish people were already familiar with God and the Bible. So if they believed in Jesus, they would learn and mature quickly in their faith. This strategy is wise, it's expedient, and it's inspired of God. It helped more people to learn about Jesus sooner. It raised up and mobilized workers, whether in the local synagogue or from afar. John, who is mentioned here in Acts 13, verse 5, is John Mark. He was a relative of Barnabas, 
and the writer of the Gospel of Mark. But here in Acts chapter 13, John Mark is helping Barnabas and Saul with the mission in any way they need help, in any way. Ministry co-workers are needed in every context. Yet sometimes people become too focused in one area of ministry and neglect other opportunities that the Spirit may be leading them towards. When people are focused on familiar or preferred roles, they might miss out on other roles that God may be calling and preparing them to for. This can result in missed blessings and opportunities to serve in different ways. Even as we implement this new vision at Crossbridge, it's important to continue and remain open to serving in current and underserved areas of ministry. This includes serving coffee, ushering, or children ministries on Sunday mornings. In verses 4 to 5, we see the ministry of proclamation. This band of early missionaries spread the good news of Jesus Christ to others, calling all men to come to Jesus. Now, they were not simply improving society or helping others through charitable work. They did that to some degree. But they understood that their calling was to be heralds of the one true living God. So Barnabas and Paul proclaimed, but that proclamation led inevitably to opposition. As a result, their ministry of proclamation became a ministry of confrontation. So finally, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, verses 6 to 12, for that ministry of confrontation. Let's, let's read these verses again. Uh, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And notice what he says to him. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul's conversion. 
his and then subsequent empowerment enables him to confront bar jesus with the conviction and power of the holy spirit behind him bar jesus also known here as elimus it was pretty common then for one person to have two names it it was the setting for an astonishing showdown between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Bar-Jesus stood at Sergius Paulus' side and darkened his mind in much the same way that Uncle Screwtape instructed his apprentice nephew in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape letters. Remarking on his task, Wormwood says, it is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. That was Bar Jesus' strategy. He attempted to blind Sergius Paulus from the truth that leads to salvation. But when Paul had seen enough of his wickedness, he turns on Bar Jesus and proclaims, and I'm going to repeat this verse just because it stands out. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Now, um, New Testament scholar John Polhill writes, no one familiar with Aramaic could have missed the pun, referring to his name, Bar-Jesus, because it meant son of the Savior, he was no son of the Savior, quite the opposite. He was son of the devil. You see, Paul's stinging rebuke of our Jesus is reminiscent of what Peter said of Simon the Magus back in Acts chapter 8. But here in verse 11, Paul foretells the judgment God will inflict on bar Jesus. Immediately, he was made blind but only for a short while. For Bar-Jesus, it was punishment. But for Sergius Paulus, it had an entirely different effect. Verse 12, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. See, behind Paul's proclamation was that power of the Holy Spirit. This was an example of power evangelism, if you're, if you're familiar with that term. Power evangelism is the miracle-working power of God. Neither the ministry of Christ nor His apostles would have succeeded without the continual confirming, without continually confirming the proclamation of His Word with signs and wonders. In the face of such amazing and unnerving display of the power of God, that ruler trusted in Christ. Compare and contrast Sergius Paulus with Herod, who at the end of Acts 12 was struck down in arrogance by the angel and he was eaten up by worms. Herod embraced arrogance and was destroyed. Sergius Paulus embraced humble faith, and received the gift of eternal life. These early missionaries had ministries of proclamation and confrontation. The two often go hand in hand. 
where the gospel is preached, you can be certain that the devil will oppose. So let me begin to close by summarizing the significance of Acts chapter 13, 1 to 12, as it affects and is related to those missionary journeys here in the book of Acts. First, today's passage shows how the early church worked extremely hard to tell people about Jesus. It's even more noteworthy because that church was composed of both Jewish people and non-Jewish people, a mixing of like oil and water in, in many ways. And this shows that the church understood and accepted that the message of Jesus Christ was for all people, regardless of their background. The church at Antioch showed that a church that understands Jesus' gospel is a church that seeks to share it with others. Anyone who is happy to be saved is happy to tell others about the Savior. Now, some here in the sanctuary and possibly online may have a hard time seeing, understanding, or applying those things if you happen to lack faith to accept, believe, and to live by them. Now, can you expect the Lord to move and lead in power if you or I are struggling with disbelief? But, but according to His enduring and unchangeable goodness, this much remains true. If we repent of our indifference, seek the face of God, and renew our commitment to become gospel-focused followers of Christ, we can expect the Holy Spirit to reform Crossbridge, to become ascending, advancing, proclaiming ministry of CBCGB. As we press ahead with our vision, we must expect some opposition and uncertainty as we let loose of some old ways. And as we grasp some new ways, we must seek courage, conviction, and love of God by His Spirit to confront and drive out uncertainty, doubt, and fear. As we build bridges to bring the gospel to others, let's confront and blind the Bar-Jesus that are in our midst so that the Sergius Paulus may believe in Jesus and join a new family of God. See and fix your gaze on the picture of that early church at Antioch. Behold the worshiping, the fasting, the praying, the sending, the commissioning, the proclaiming, the confronting, the loving, courageous church of the living God. We ask God, we plead, we pray to Him that He, by His Spirit, would move us to be like that church. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we exalt and praise You for Your faithfulness and guidance. We thank You for the gift of Your Holy Spirit 
who leads and guides your church. May we follow as you lead us in fasting and worship, those that by prayer we may hear your voice more clearly and abide in your way. And may we be inspired for the work of building bridges to build a family in Christ in new places and with new peoples, and that by our service many will come to know you. Be pleased with us as we trust you to guide us in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.